Good morning. Good to be with you. Homeless beggars that you are, needing to be filled up and brought back to Christ, just like you did last Sunday. God's grace and peace be ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, about 20 years ago, I was going to a pastor's conference, went to the hotel where we were staying. A whole bunch of us were lined up at the counter. When I got to the counter, I told the lady I was with the Lutheran pastor's conference. And I said, do you know what Lutherans are? And she said, are you guys Christians? I said, yes. She said, I'm Muslim. We're a lot like you. I said, really? I hadn't thought that before. What do you mean? She said, we have commandments just like you follow the Ten Commandments. We're a lot alike. Maybe it was 15 years ago, I was on a plane sitting next to a guy, you know, your captive audience next to a preacher on a plane. And uh, we had about a two-hour flight. He was about 20 years older than me, lived in Austin. We were coming back from wherever we had gone and uh, making conversation and found out he goes to the church, the Unity Church that used to be, at least on Desal Road, not far from here. And in our conversation, after a while, he said, quote, I hope to live a good enough life that I will never have to die, that God will just translate me to heaven. I didn't make that up. He said that. One of my favorite country music songs by Brooks and Dunn is I Believe because it talks about an old man who had faith and he said the older I get the more I like the words in red in my Bible. For those of you that use Bible on the phone we used to have words in red for Christ. In fact my Bible app does still. But there's a line in that that song that says this. Let Let me make sure I get it exactly right. If there was anyone who deserved a ticket to the other side, it'd be that old man. When I was studying the basics of the Bible before I went to seminary, I was in Minnesota. A man knocked on my door, quite a bit older than me. He was a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And we got to talking, and I told him I was studying to be a pastor in a Christian denomination. And I said, let me ask you a question. Why, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? And he said, I've been doing this for 30 years, and Jehovah God sees what I'm doing, and he understands how dedicated I am. Now, I just shared with you people from very different walks of life, but there's a common denominator in every one of them, including Brooks and Dunn's song. What is it? The idea that not only ought we try to earn God's favor, but that we can somehow earn God's favor and a place at his, in his heavenly mansion. It is as common as the air we breathe. And I will venture to say that No society, no culture, no tribe ever had this feeling and belief more than the ancient Jewish people that Jesus lived and came from. 
It was part of everything about their life. Their nationalism, their heritage, their religion. They were a very small group on the planet, and they had written word, and no other group did. They had the, what we call the Old Testament. And they had a heritage that they taught their children well, that the commandments of God were handed down from heaven to Moses to their people alone. Given Ten Commandments in the middle of 613 laws about civic things and ceremonial things as well. And they believed, partly correctly but partly wrong, that they were God's special people chosen to have the word about how to live your life so that you could please God and get to heaven. That's what they thought. And born among them is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And if you read the New Testament, the four books about Jesus, you'll see conversation after conversation with people that come out of this group. And And it sometimes sounds like the examples I gave you. And today, we're going to look at one. But before we do, I want you to think about why would we look at this as the precursor, the introduction to a series on the Ten Commandments. Your pastoral team decided months ago that we would follow a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Why would we choose this story as I get into it? Think about it as the introduction. You know, Jesus talked a lot about the Ten Commandments. He's going to mention them here in the, the story. Luther decided that the Ten Commandments would make the top six, the big six. Do you know what I mean? The six parts to the catechism that are Luther's summary of Christian Christianity. And we teach our children still, and we do it in our adult classes too when they join our church. We teach our children the Ten Commandments, sometimes taking weeks to get through them. Well, if Jesus thought they were big, and Luther thought they were big, and your pastors think they're big enough for a summer sermon series, why start the sermon series with this story about Jesus talking to a man who thought he could earn heaven? Because... There's really good reasons to learn the Ten Commandments, but it's not so you can get good enough for God ever. Ever! That's not why, but that's what people will think. So let's get into the story. Let's look at it. I didn't put the scriptures this week up on the screen, so get your folder out. Matthew 19. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, What good thing must I do to get eternal life? One of the other gospel writers said he's a rich, young ruler. Well, in Jewish culture, what would be a rich, young ruler? Someone who was solidly employed, maybe owning his own business, who was very religious because he was a ruler, and in Jewish society around Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee, the rulers were the Pharisees and Sadducees that were well taught. They were the pastors and the entrepreneurs all at the same time. This guy has it all in his culture. He's got youth, health, wealth, and religion. 
He's got it all. And he is full in his life, except there's one nagging question in his mind. Do I have all of the insight I need to get myself to heaven? And there's this Jesus who's smoking a trail through Israel. (laughs) He is popular. He's a great teacher. And this man has undoubtedly heard Jesus, maybe the Sermon on the Mount. He's heard Jesus talking. And he wants his time with Jesus. And this man's not intimidated. He finds Jesus. He runs up to him. And he kneels down. That's what it says in one of the other Gospels. And he says, give me the secret sauce. You've got the secret to eternal life, and I've got all this going on, but I feel this nagging doubt. What must I do to get eternal life? Remember, he's in his own paradigm, the paradigm I shared with all those examples from. You've got to earn it, but you've got to have the secrets to know what you're earning, how you're earning it. So Jesus, he says, good, what good thing must I do? One of the other gospel writers says, he also says, good teacher. And that's, the, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Good teacher, what good thing must I do? Don't, don't uh, just hang on to that, that question, that thought. Look at Jesus' answer. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus also said, and why do you call me good? There is only one who is good, if you want to enter life keep the commandments. Why did Jesus say, why do you ask me about what is good? And there is only one that is good. This takes a lot of meditation, so please put your thinking cap on and hang with me. This man thinks that he is good enough to decide if somebody is good. So he wants to tell Jesus a flattering thought. I have decided as a great good Young ruler, you're a good guy. You're, a, you're up there. Good teacher. You've got the secret sauce. I've decided. And I want from one good man to another to know what you've got. And Jesus said, there's only one that's good, and that's God. Now, what do you know about Jesus that this man doesn't know? He's what? He's the one that's good. He's God, right? It's no no fun for Jesus if you call him good. You take a zero out and you call him God. But you don't call him good. That's a demotion, Mr. Good Man. He thinks you're so good that you can tell that I'm good. Jesus is very lovingly and patiently, but when he's loving and patient, he's also firm, leading this man on. So he says, you want to make it to eternal life? What does he say? Keep the commandments. Now, the man thought that Jesus had the secret sauce, but what does Jesus tell him? There's no secret. In your paradigm, what you're looking for, just keep the commandments. Well, the man thinks he's been doing that great, and so he just tells Jesus that. First he says, well, which ones? Jesus said, okay, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I could pick one of you out of this crowd today 
And I would guess that you've kept all these commandments the way that man feels like he kept them. Did you consciously steal something this week? Did you go out and sleep with somebody other than your spouse? Did you call your mama or email or text or show some honor or respect? Honor your parents. See what I'm saying? Did you, did you boldface lie this week? Maybe a couple of you are going, well, shoot, I did break some of those. But most of you are th- feeling pretty good, like he is. I was a pretty good person. You know why? Because in the world standards, you're good people. So was he. So, but the difference between you and him is that you came to church to get Christ, and he didn't come to Christ to get Christ. So watch what happens. All these I've kept since I was a young man. And he's not necessarily just saying, I'm good enough to get to heaven. What does he ask? What do I still lack? Jesus, I know there's a secret sauce there. I want to know what it is. I've kept all these. Don't tell me stuff I already know. I've, I've kept all those commandments. Well, the real problem is not his outward keeping of commandments or not, and it's not yours either. The real problem for every human being is their heart. That is your biggest problem. It will never be your church, your friends, your family, your work, your state, your government. It'll never be any of that. Your biggest problem is you, your heart. And so Jesus is ready to reveal that to him. This is what he says. You know, you're asking, you keep asking, what's the secret sauce? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect... Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. What does it say? When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Did it occur to you when Jesus gave him those commandments and he said, I've kept them all for my youth, if you know the Ten Commandments, that those are only the ones about your neighbor? What's the first commandment? Have no, say it, no other gods before me. So when Jesus, remember I said take a zero out, you got to see Jesus as God. When Jesus says sell everything you have and come and follow me, what Jesus is saying is you have to recognize that I am God if you want to have eternal life and follow me. And why did the man go away sad? He was blind. He didn't see Jesus as God. And he had great wealth. And if he had to give up everything for this good teacher to get to heaven, he just couldn't do it. Because he wouldn't want to follow Jesus without any of his possessions or his place in society. He's not going to do that. And he went away sad. Jesus was talking to him about the first part of the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods, do not take the Lord's name in vain, and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Everything's about starts with God, right? And the man went away sad. Now we're going to take a time out right there, and we're going to talk about the law. The law is God's standard by which he wants us to live our lives. The Ten Commandments is a summary of the law. That's why we're having a summer series on it. It's wonderful. But there are three purposes that God gave us his law. So if we could go there, the first purpose is a curb. 
This is the law written in people's hearts. It doesn't matter if you've never gone to church. This is what the Muslim lady meant behind the counter at the hotel when she said, we got commandments, you got commandments, we all got a lot in common, right? Everybody has the moral law written in their heart. They were made that way. And that curbs behavior. If we didn't have the moral law written in our heart, the crime would be 20,000 times more than it is right now. The law is a curb. The second reason God gave the law was a mirror. And what he means is, it's to show you what you're really like. This is what Jesus was doing when he said, go sell all your possessions. The man worshipped his own life, his own everything. And Jesus said, I'm going to show you yourself. And he put a mirror up in front of him. The mirror is so that you will see your heart and what's wrong with it. The third reason God gave the law was as a guide, that it would guide your life. That you, If you want to know what pleases God, not so you can earn his favor, but just what the way he intended for us to live. Like, like your car. You're supposed to change the oil every what? Where's Tom Hepson? Stick your head in here. You're supposed to change your oil how often? Every three months or three to 5,000 miles unless you use synthetic oil and he says you can go a little further. That's a rule about cars. That's how they run best. Ten Commandments are a guide on how the law is a guide on how to live your life, right? Curb, mirror, law. Which one is Jesus using for this man? Mirror. What's missing in the list? A way to get to heaven. <laughs> there's no reason. There's, that's not one of the reasons he gave us the law, right? And so he went away sad. If you want to talk about his behavior, the man's biggest mistake in his behavior was that he went away. That's the end of the story with him in the Bible. But maybe it wasn't the end of the story in his life. We have people that go away from us. You've witnessed to people and they walk away, right? People walk away from our church. But that doesn't mean they necessarily, their life is over. So maybe he came back. But we wish we could see him just say, wait, 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 what do you mean i got to give up everything? Really? Are you serious? In fact, I've heard some of you say that because you struggle with Jesus' words as much as he did. I've thought it myself, and I've heard people say, I'm glad Jesus didn't ask me to give, go sell everything, give it to the poor, and come follow him. Did you know that he did? And he does? Maybe not give it to the poor. That was specific to that man's situation. But to give, sell everything and come follow him? Could I just tell you something? If you haven't divorced yourself from everything to follow Jesus, you might not be a Christian. Does that bother you? I hope it does. You know, you don't, you don't just sit with Jesus and say, I'm going to be kind of religious and hang out with you and say amen and go through the traces and get all my Bible studies done and join the church and be accepted by everybody and learn, learn the secret handshake of the church I belong to and know why that reverend's wearing a Luther seals on his tie so I understand what Lutherans are all about. And I'm just going to kind of like, you know, drink the Kool-Aid and be a part and it's good and it's good for my family and it's good for us. We all need some religion and 
you're lost. If you don't recognize it's a total sellout, then you still have a, a zero in the good before Jesus instead of God. This is everything. Now, Jesus has got these 12 guys. You've got to read the whole chapter sometimes. We're not going to do that here, but go home and read it. He's got these 12 guys who have left everything. Remember, they left their nets and followed him? And they're listening to him. And what's their temptation? Well, we got the secret sauce. We did it. We left everything. And they ask him about that later. But they're, they're back there, and watch what Jesus says for their sake. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The guy's walking away. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when you hear that, what are you thinking? Does he really mean a little needle? One guy in history said, there's a, there's a gate going into Jerusalem, and it's called the needle's eye. And what Jesus means is the camel's got to get on its knees to go through there. No! He means a little needle. It's, it's easier for a camel who's got a big hump and a big animal to go through a little needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. The disciples got what we're trying not to get when we try to give explanations like I just gave. What did they say? When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said what? Who can be saved? Now, that's pretty cool. They didn't say what rich man could be saved. They said who can be saved because they properly understood what? Wealth is a matter of the heart. If, if a guy's in prison and he's reduced to just the issued clothing and he's got two packs of cigarettes and feels rich, he's rich, right? Right? If you counted your net worth and you're just so super feeling good about yourself because you've got a, a car that you really like and you know your retirement's going to be taken care of and, or whatever it is that you're feeling great about, maybe it's your looks in the mirror or your clothes that you got, you're rich. Everyone who has anything is a sinful heart is feeling either rich or poor or wanting to be rich, which is just the same as being rich. So the disciples said, who could be saved? Who could be saved? And the answer is, in the paradigm of the law, nobody. Nobody can be saved. That's exactly what Jesus wanted them to get. So, this is what Jesus said. No, don't, don't overlook the small words. Last verse, Jesus what? Looked at them. This is a word, this is a word for like me stopping in a pregnant pause when I'm preaching. And looking at you. Because he loved them. And when they said, who, is it can, who can be saved? He wanted, he wanted them to just focus exactly on what he was about to say. Because this was like, this was the meaning of the entire moment. The entire conversation. This is the best part. And he didn't want them to miss it. He said, with man, this is impossible. But with God... All things are possible. Remember when the man went away sad? He could have stayed and said, I don't think I'll ever be saved. And Jesus said, he could have said, I'm going to tell you what's about to happen. Jesus came through the needle's eye. He did the impossible he never sinned. 
He never once exploited this world for himself. He never once was rich. I don't mean just in the outward way. Of course, he had a clothes on his back and he had his mom and daddy had a house and he had people giving him money so he could do his ministry. But he never once personally in his heart was rich. It says in the Bible, for your sake, he became poor. He left heaven. God in heaven owns everything. Jesus owned the whole earth and he walked around a hopeless, helpless, homeless beggar who was going to be killed faster than anybody around him really knew it. It was only a short time, and he was going to go through the needle's eye of losing God's favor. Remember the thing that the guy was trying to earn? Jesus already had it, and he was going to give it all up for that man to save his soul and to save his life and give him eternal life. And you're going, why didn't Jesus just shout at him, wait, come back? You know why? The guy would not have listened. And Jesus knew that. He had to, the law, you have to give up everything to follow me, had to work on his heart for a while. Sometimes it's that way for us, right? The point Jesus was making that it's impossible, the point he wanted to give everybody, go to the next slide, is the gospel. And the purpose of the gospel is to show us Jesus. He kept the whole law. He never stumbled at one point. If, if someone would have come up to him and said, well, you know the commandments, Jesus would have said, I've kept them all in my heart. Because when I was going through the Ten Commandments and I said, have you committed adultery this week? I didn't include in your thoughts, right? Or if you wanted to lie, I didn't include that, right? Or if you were irritated or upset or thinking about the sins of your parents, I didn't include that. But all of that sin, it's not just if you do it outwardly, see? But Jesus could say, I've kept them all. And he gave up. He gave up that he kept them all. So God would torture him because you didn't. And you won't. And you can't keep them all. And here's the deal. Any sermon series on the Ten Commandments that's worth its salt is going to bring you to the end of yourself every Sunday in regard to that commandment. If we do our job, you're going to come to the end of yourself about each commandment and say, I have broken it, and I need a Savior. But you have one. Do you remember how I started today and I said, you're homeless, beggars, helpless, we all are. The gospel shows us that Jesus did the impossible and gave it to us as a gift, and that makes us rich. But that's the only thing that makes us rich. So you came here today to get rich. You have a Savior. And so did the Twelve, and so did the man. You're rich. Unless you think your wealth, in a worldly sense, is really wealth at all. Then you still need to go away sad until you come back and realize everything is yours in Christ. 
who saved you. So, show the next guy. Are you rich or poor? There's a modern-day rich young ruler. He's got his nice car. He's got his wife and two kids. Everything's set. He's got a good life. Got a good reputation. If the commandments are so dangerous that they could make you think that you could earn heaven, why teach them to Christians over 10 weeks? Because there's a rich young ruler called your old sinful nature that needs a mirror. There's a new man inside of you that's longing for, God, I want to please you. I want to do the right thing. Show me how to do it. It needs a guide. And sometimes you're not paying attention at all, and you just need a curb that says, that car up there with the little lights on it will give you a ticket that will cost you for a long time with insurance if you don't slow down, which is a curb, right? So it's always good to have the commandments in our lives as long as Jesus is the king of our heart. Then the commandments will serve us very well. That's the way God intended it. So come with us on the journey. Let's study the Ten Commandments. They're found in Exodus 20. We read them. Make that your meditation for the ten weeks, looking at those Ten Commandments. If you know what I mean by Luther's small catechism, go look it up on Google. Look at his explanation of each one. And let's study the Ten Commandments as people who are not at all trying to earn their way to heaven, but who love Jesus, the God that's saved us, and we want to, help, we want to follow him with our life. Amen.